This is the Dope Post podcast. Um, my favorite New Zealander of all time is here, Stevie Cozen. Stevie, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm um, pretty happy to be jumping on the Dope Post for the first time. Um, and also remember the, the famous moment where you told Zach Lowe that uh, you had the Dope Post and everyone clapped. <laughs> right, right. So what, what I do when my friends um, bring this up, so when I did that, after I did that, I kind of just forgot everything that happened afterwards. So I, I asked my friends, like, if they could just tell me what happened afterwards, because all I remember is the same, like the last word and then sitting down and, you know, Zach, <laughs> Zach answered my question or whatever. But, you know, did anything else happen, Stevie, in the room? Um, I think like everyone else sort of, it's kind of surreal because you know, it's probably a bit more for me coming from the other side of the world where I, you don't really get to chat to those people in person. So for me, I was sort of sharing in like the moment when you sort of said that to him and how he thought that was cool and everyone sort of clapped and stuff. And um, it was almost like I was, I was in the same like place that you were where everyone clapped and was like, I was just, I felt really cool for like a minute there. I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like he was genu- he was genuinely impressed. Not that, not just that you had the name, but that you, that you stood up and said it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, my heart was beating really fast and, I, like, <laughs> you know, just, it was the middle of the week. So everyone was sleep deprived, of course, but you know, I was on my third cup of coffee or something. So heart, heart rate was beating uh, from the nervousness and the caffeine and the adrenaline. So thanks for sharing. I, uh, I like to make sure with people like nothing embarrassing happened from my side. <laughs> no, it wasn't embarrassing, man. That was really, really cool. And I think I was actually explaining that to, to some people this week to, cause I always talk about SBC about how like people who live in the United States are quite a bit more ballsy than people who live in New Zealand. Like, <laughs> yeah, like honestly, like, um, I might have asked a couple of questions all week, but like you, Sam, the dude that hit up Mark Cuban, you guys are just standing up, like reeling questions off to these guys. And like, you guys are like 10 years younger than me. I was genuinely impressed. Like I had questions, but I was like, what kind of question can I ask? Which is going to impress this dude. And then like, you guys are just ripping into it. So I try to explain that to my friends and be like, I sort of learned a bit about, about that because, um, yeah, you guys are just really out there and I loved it. Right. Um, part of the reason why I wanted you on was to just talk about New Zealand. But like, you know, if you want to know something about the United States, maybe I can clear that up too. But on that note, I, I just want to say there's definitely people who are ballsy in like the wrong ways. <laughs> I think SBC <laughs> were like more, more the, the right ways. But yeah, I think if I had to come up with an explanation for that, for me at least, um, I was texting my cousin because we both love Zach Lowe and uh, he, my cousin was like the first supporter of the dope post. So he texted me as Zach was talking. He said, you got to tell him about the dope post. And then I realized like, yeah, this is like the only chance I'll ever get for yes. a really long time to tell Zach Lowe about this. So as everyone else was asking questions, I was like one of the later uh, questioners. Um, I was like, like writing the script in my head and to practice it in my head that way I can make it as smooth as possible. So yeah, I needed that little push from my cousin. So yeah, 
Yeah. But you know, yeah. being being ballsy in life, I think is part of just, you know, if, if uh, you're not going to get this opportunity again, uh, you got to do it now. So that's how I think. hundred percent, man. I mean, for me, like, and if it had been later on in the week, um, I would have definitely taken inspiration from that. But um, Timberwolves head coach, uh, Ryan Saunders, where the SBC classroom was, I think that some NBA personnel were going in through that door rather than the, the door where the players entered. And it was like the first or second morning. And like Ryan Saunders rolled through the room and I saw him there and he like sort of raised his eyebrows at me and I wish I'd said something. Uh-huh. I just stood there look I just stood there looking real weird and um I sort of raised my eyebrows back to him. But I think if it had been later on in the week I would have said what's up and well done with what you'd done with the team last year and um yeah, I would have definitely taken inspiration from everyone standing up and like saying their piece to all the all the NBA personnel. Right. I think everyone that went to SBC, if if they got to go to Summer League again this year, they definitely would be more ballsy, as you would say. I have my own like embarrassing story to like counterbalance my Zach Lowe story, which is I had, I had two chances to talk to Shams uh, Sharanya and I chose, I chose not to both times. And he's the guy that like, I regretted not going up to because listen, first time uh, I was exploring the, the UNLV like arena by myself. And I found, I found where their media room was. So where all like the media members could just watch the game on TV instead of, you know, in the arena. I went in there, looked around. I didn't know anyone there. So I walked out as I was like closing the door, I turn around and I start walking and Shams is walking straight towards me in this really, you know, the really narrow hallway underground. So he was walking straight towards me and I thought about saying something, but it was just like a really tight hallway and I didn't want to creep him out. And I wasn't sure if I had access to the media room in the first place. And he just saw me walk out of it. So um, we just walked by each other and we looked each other in the eye, just like you yeah. had did with uh, Ryan Saunders. But no yeah. one said anything. Yeah. And uh, that was the first moment. The second time, it was near the end of the week. I saw Sean standing in the concourse area. He was on the phone, like tweeting maybe or just checking stuff. So I didn't want to interrupt him. It looked like he was on a call too. He had AirPods in. So I didn't want to interrupt him. But I decided to stay in the same area as him and wait until he was done with his call. So then I started talking with like a summer league intern. Um, We started talking. We exchanged contact information. I turn around and Shams is gone. Uh, I know what you mean, man. It's so hard because like a lot of times you build things up to be like worse in your head than they are. And most of the time, these guys are just like, well, they're just real people. But most of the time, they're going to react really positively and they're probably going to be real helpful. But it's funny in your head, you think, oh, they won't want to talk to me or whatever. But it's always the opposite. You know what I mean? Right. And, yeah. you know, you said you're, you're 10 years older than, uh, than me. I'm actually, like, sometimes jealous of people that are older than me because they, didn't, they, didn't, they don't... I feel like younger people with stuff like social media or... Um, going up to someone in person to talk, I feel like we're way more anxious and nervous about it than people that are older than us because you didn't grow and like grow up, grow up with social media in the same way that we did. So you don't take things like that so seriously and you're not so yeah. like self-conscious of um, interacting with people in person. So 
sometimes I'm definitely jealous of people that are like 10 years or 20 years older than I am. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm a bit more of an anxious person than I sort of worry what people are going to think. So I'm quite confident socially if I get to chatting to someone, but then that first interaction could be a little bit scary. Um, but like at SBC, like those are my people. So that was easier for me. But if I just, if I'm just ran at a random basketball game or, or on the street, if I just saw like a, you know, some dude that was like an idol to me, I'd struggle. But like at SBC, I had no problem walking up and talking to Nate Duncan because like, um, I feel like those are my people and I feel, I just feel more at ease around those type of people and that like, um, yeah, that like these are all my basketball nerd friends and even though I hadn't met any of you guys, I just feel more comfortable with those kind of situations. The funny thing about Nate Duncan is he's so tall, you can almost imagine yeah. he's a basketball player. Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah, he's... um, And it's funny because, like, he spokes... He, so he speaks on his pod. I don't know if it was him or the one or his new one with him and John. He just sort of speaks about how he is a little bit awkward socially, but that didn't really come across to me. Like, I thought he was pretty good socially. I thought what was awkward is that all of these nerds, like I, I count myself as a nerd as well, but all of us nerds surround him and he's trying to make conversation with everyone and about three or four people are acting super awkward, just standing there listening, but not wanting to participate in the conversation, making him more awkward. And it's sort of like, it, it's funny because some people go out of their way to be social, whereas the reality is not everyone is really good at speaking in those type of, con- in those type of situations. You know what I mean? Like he's got, people love Nate because of his pod. And I was like, I was kind of impressed that he just talked to every single person in the group, asked what their story was, asked where they were from. And he had like this dry sense of humor, which is cracking everyone up. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like Bill Simmons when he does his podcast and he does the, you know, nerd corner. That's exactly what SBC was nerd corner. It was hundred percent, man. Like I, um, it's just weird. Cause like, I I mean, I might hang out with like three or four people that are like that back in New Zealand, but when you have 80 or 90 people that are like, think the same as you, like act the same as you, like have the stupid nerdy jokes about like salary cap and stuff like, oh man, I just got, it just made me so happy. <laughs> right. For me, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's coming to the, the horrible realization that I'm not the smartest person by basketball. And it's only my friends were just like below average and I was just like average. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I think, um, I think though, though, when you get into those situations, you realize that, um, when you're trying to look out for, trying to look out for yourself and think, Oh, you know, what type of jobs am I looking to get? Or like, who am I going to be in this career of mine or whatever? It, it's just not always about what you know. There's so many other things like we learned, about networking and you sort of talk about um yeah how how hard you work and connections and everything and um the smartest people aren't always the ones that you know get to the top it's quite often about how you network and how good you are with people and all that sort of stuff and i felt we learned that as well how uh in new zealand counting you how many other people would you say are interested in working in basketball or sports well I think there's a lot of people that want to work in sports in New Zealand. Um, 
but I'd say if I if I was to say people in New Zealand who are going to have the same career as me, um, probably under five people. A hundred five, you said? No, 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 under five. Under five, interesting. Under five, yeah. And there's yeah, like yeah. a couple million at least, right, in New Zealand. Yeah, there's five million people in New Zealand. The the main issue that we have here is that because the sports are all quite a lot smaller and not all heavily professionalized, a lot of the journalists have to cover five or six sports, meaning there's not many specific basketball media. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like one of the first dudes who's just doing basketball, which for me is great. It's like, um, yeah, it's, it's really positive. I've listened to Larry on so many podcasts and I've talked with him a couple times in person since SBC. And you know, like one of his catchphrases, like something, something along the lines of when you're, you're the only one in the, the group or something. He was trying to say that the smaller the pool is, the more likely that you're like the best at what, whatever you do. So in New Zealand, like probably not a lot of people doing what you're doing. So by default, you are one of the best. 100%. I mean, in my eyes, I am the best because like I was, I was the first person to do SBC from New Zealand. Um, and yeah, I mean, I consider that experience huge. And I also obviously run, I run that the Portland Trailblazers fan blog. And like, even though my, my knowledge around the game in New Zealand isn't as strong as others, I consider myself to have some of the best NBA knowledge going around and, like I just try and have a bit more confidence in my abilities now and like know that I do the work and I do my research and yeah, I'd like to consider myself that sort of sit at the top there. But for me, I just need to, I just want to continue to push myself to really learn lots in the next year about the things, the areas of my knowledge that I'm not strong on. Follow up question. What's it like living in the modern day Wakanda where everything in, in New Zealand seems so far advanced, the, the politics, the basketball games. Uh, I, heard, I heard there were two um, foreign travelers that contracted the virus. So just two, but like, what's the what's update on that? Yeah, so it's been a little bit, no, I don't, know what, I don't want to say messy, but basically there were, there were two travelers and our border controls are strong. Like I'd say like, top 1% of countries strong. Um, but the, the government got a lot of, got grilled and got a lot of heat because they weren't letting people go to funerals when we were in quarantine. Because any big gatherings, as we know, when you're in a quarantine is going to mean you're probably going to transmit the virus. Now, as terrible as it is, and I mean, I had a, a friend in the basketball community in New Zealand who passed away. It was terrible. Um, his wife could only have 100 people to the funeral. Before that, you could only have gatherings for funerals of and of 10 people or under, and it was really terrible, but that was just the decision that was made. So what had happened is they let these people go out for a funeral, they granted them an exception, and then they'd run off after the funeral, and then they got the coronavirus and potentially spread it to lots of people. But it's, I don't want to say funny, but it's amazing that that's a big deal for us when two people have it. Whereas there was 40,000 new people got it in, in the U S yesterday. I mean, isn't that wild? I don't even know the numbers anymore. I just, I just think a lot. 
I, I stop I stop checking. I mean, right. I realize I realize that like, and I love the US man. Like I, as much as all the terrible stuff that's going on in terms of coronavirus, the social uprising and police brutality. Like, I have lots of dear friends that live in the states. I love the NBA. There's so many things that I do love, and I won't. My mind won't be changed on the US as a whole just because of those other things. I just realized that if I every day was checking to see how many new cases there are, I was just going to feel really negative about something that I just didn't really need to. So I'm just trying to look for a few more positives and hope that things can be under control in the next little while, you know? Right. And I know like you would love, I, I'm sure you would love to be living in the United States one day permanently instead of just uh, covering the NBA from New Zealand. So yeah, I definitely believe you on that. Yeah. Yeah. 100% man. And I mean, I, yeah, I, I was looking seriously at it around the new year and financially it, it didn't really work at the moment. Um, but I'm definitely glad that <clears throat> I'm definitely glad that it didn't work out because I mean, with COVID it would have been pretty, it would have been pretty messy. I mean, you see how many of those places have laid people off massive issues with the athletic massive issues with SB nation. I see bleacher report have people quitting in this climate because of something the CEO did. I mean, a lot of these places are in trouble, man. And I think it shows just the way that content and sports net is built, that it's not always as great as what you think it is when these big organizations can really fall. Right. Yeah. I think for, you know, people like you and me as me as a podcast hoster, um, same thing for you, but you know, we're both kind of, media inclined i guess you know like the people uh, that host podcasts or they write or whatever about sports i always think that they're more you know people person they like talking and but the downside of that is sports media is can be very hard sometimes with the layoffs happening every once in a while and uh with you know even worse with the pandemic right now yep 100%. 100%. And I think um, it just the daily, the daily content that you have when you have a league, and I mean, could be NFL, could be MLB, but the daily content you have when the NBA is on, there's literally, it's probably the, the, the one month prior to training camp, you know, prior to the NBA season where it's quiet. Other than that, You've basically got 11 months of absolutely solid content there where there's always something happening. <clears throat> if it's not free agency, it's the draft, it's playoffs, it's regular season. I mean, we're, pretty much we've been blessed for, when you look at the changes that have happened around the game, we've been blessed for probably the last 10 or 20 years. And then with the advent of social media, there's always something going on in the last little while. I mean, you've probably... We've probably seen a massive downturn in ad advertising, and that's been one of the main reasons that they haven't been able to keep going. I personally um, have set up screen limits, no, app limits for on my phone because, like, you know, there's content going coming all the time, but my mind has started to feel crazy just checking Twitter all the time. So this week I started playing around with, like, the iPhone's, like, uh, screen time limits, so 
right now I'm only allowing myself like an hour and 15 minutes on Twitter every day. That's it. Wow. That's yeah, good, so man. That, yeah. So it's going pretty well, I think. But like just it, for me, it feels like all this stuff, like just clouding my my brain and, and my, my thoughts. So I think if, if, if we were in normal times and uh, I was out doing stuff as normal, then I don't need limits. But when, uh, you know, when you're home all the time, I think limits are definitely a good thing to have. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I think in this quarantine, it's hard because it's almost like people are saying, you've got to have 20 Zoom meetings a day and use the quarantine period to do networking. It's like, you should, but if before you were working 10 hours a day, that doesn't mean just because you're at home, you should be doing 14 hours. Like, you still need to try and have that balance and somehow figure out a way that you're still sane and you can still get good sleep. Like you not only want to push your career along during quarantine, you want to be like, right, how can I have better food habits? Can I, how can I have better exercise habits? How do I get the house cleaner? Like you really need to try to have that balance. Otherwise it means that you basically just use your whole quarantine period just to work. And it's not really how it should be. Back to my Wakanda question. Has, oh, yes. has it always, has, has it always been like Wakanda Stevie? You're, you're about 30, 34 ish, I think. Uh, yeah. Has it always been like Wakanda? I mean, I feel like we've been pretty progressive in terms of things like um, gay marriage, uh, women, women getting the vote before other countries. Like, we've been pretty progressive in a lot of ways for a long time. And I mean, I'm pretty proud to live here, and um, we're not very corrupt in terms of our government. And yeah, I think we we have for a long for a long time. Like, yeah, we've we've just been different. And being a little little island nation of only five million, I I like that we stand out for the right reasons. And I mean, yeah, COVID was one of those. I think we only had something like twenty five deaths or something like that. And most of those were people that were in very high risk, like in rest homes and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think so, man. Are masks considered a political issue? I understand, I understand people, you know, not being, being upset that they can't go to a funeral. That's understandable. But, you know, in the United States right now, I, I just read a, a New York Times article a couple minutes ago where I, in one sentence it said, you know, political stance on mass. And that's just, you know, that's just, that's just crazy to me that yeah. wearing a mask becomes political. Um, even um, worse, even worse, I've seen people, you know, try to use uh george floyd's uh death and compare that to wearing a mask where they're saying like i can't breathe with a mask and they're trying to like compare the two i yeah i'm i'm really struggling i think to understand american politics in a way where i can try and form an opinion no one understands it cv it's okay oh i mean i I think and it's, it's, less, it's less forming opinion for myself personally, but just trying to realize uh, and be unbiased. Like, what are the things that are important? And when all the people that I follow on Twitter that I consider, not just that they're just NBA people that share stuff and they're writers and their podcasters and that sort of stuff, I consider a lot of the people that I follow to be really good people. Like Dave Dufour, for example. 
really straight up guy. Um, no bullshit. Like he calls it as he sees it. And he was calling out racist and that sort of stuff long before any of this stuff hit in terms of the police brutality. So, but it's really hard when the people that are really socially aware, which are most of the people that I follow on Twitter, when you go down your Twitter feed and like, I've been really active, like sharing the bail bond stuff and sharing the stuff about the police brutality. And like, I was very active, you know, and i still am like, I'm trying to continue to share that message because I believe really strongly in it, but it, it, it impacts me emotionally and mentally when that's all you see day in day out and you just feel, you just feel kind of sad and it sucks, you know? I feel like, um, I know it's not the same thing with, uh, Adam Silver where he's not really like a, like a president, but I appreciate it when there's a problem in the NBA, no one really questions Adam, Adam Silver's like, you know, personal intentions you know it's always about the issue we're, we're always arguing about the issue like um for example everyone was arguing about the bubble and its safety or whatever that's fine you know that's that's normal i think what wouldn't be normal for me would be to argue about you know if adam silver had a corrupt organization and all these like all these events happening that are not about the issues at all that's what i would, would love to see in united states politics but for like so long i think maybe it's a trump thing maybe it's not but it feels like all these other things like that causes drama that becomes the center of attention and people just forget about the issues i i i wish like i wish trump would just you know not cause all this chaos and just propose issues or talk about issues and i I wish that was what we argued about and not necessarily um whether or not wearing masks is right. Well, that is kind of an issue, but you get what I mean. Yeah, I get what you mean. I, so I read about, I think it was about police reform and uh, it was some sort of a bill that was going before the Senate around police reform and about how, you know, what was happening in terms of police brutality and how, how police would better restrain people. And it was a bill they were trying to get through quite quickly. And somehow the people that were, and they didn't say they were against the bill, but the people that were basically lobbying, well, they they were against the bill, but they never came out and said it. They ended up talking about stuff like Russia, like all this other stuff. And the dude who was for it, uh, he was an African-American guy from Louisiana. He was just like, like, where do we get to when we're talking about a police brutality bill and you're literally talking about, oh, the other thing was male voting. How do male voting in Russia have anything to do with this police brutality? Like exactly what you had said, we totally got off the topic of just trying to have all this other stuff in there to try and water it down when you know what the real issue is. But for some reason, you just end up getting off topic about these other things which literally have nothing to do with it. And that's really exactly what Trump's presidency has been about. It's just been smoke and mirrors. There's definitely like factions in the United States or populations that are just totally anti-science, uh, pro-conspiracy theories. Um, yeah. The, so, you know, we were talking earlier about this and I, I was kind of saying that sometimes Los Angeles is 
one world and um, another city or another region in the United States is like a whole separate world. Um, yeah, that's just, you know, the United States is great and all, but there's just so many people here. It's a huge uh, geographical land and these things happen where the lives are just so different from every part, each region in the country, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you realize the way that the states themselves work and even like counties and all that sort of stuff, it's just, it's funny they call them the United States because it's not really united. And you look at this COVID, I mean, it just hasn't, hasn't really ever, COVID 19's never really been under control. And, you look at the the spike in the cases and that. I mean, we won't continue. We won't go on about it, but it, it's things like that never really got it under control. And you're talking about potentially it getting worse, a lot worse, when there was a chance there if the, if the, if you could get everyone on the same page that maybe this sort of stuff could be sorted. But now you're seeing the way that the system works there and the way the country is run, and it's a a massive concern for the rest of the world because basically you're talking about the world's biggest economy, probably outside of China, having this terrible virus. And they say, oh, people who have money, you know, they, they don't have any problems. But literally today we've seen like six or eight people, NBA players, who had the virus, you know? And these guys have been having their temperatures monitored. Like JJ Reddick on his podcast, he said that they were having to send their temperatures daily to the Pelicans. So like these guys, like... You know, and I don't want to say they have it all, but literally they're being supported by a billion dollar organization, probably. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's the virus is out of control in the States and it's a massive worry for the rest of the world. I'm glad you brought that up. NBA players, like, I, I want to know if uh, the players that contracted the virus, like, were they, you know, trying to, keep with the quarantining principles or were they going out because if they were like in quarantine and they still got it like that's even more crazy um i suspect that's what happened like their family members um maybe yeah supporting their family members was one of their family members got the virus and maybe that's how they got it i feel like otherwise with social media and everything we would have known by now if uh, an nba player was like going out to do stuff uh non-essential stuff yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think when you look at the way that's that um, some of the NBA players have come up and the way they support their families, like, I think that's one thing we don't do as much of in New Zealand where like, you know, if, if your mum has supported you really heavily through, you know, some really tough stuff and, and later on when you make it, you can go out and buy her a house or maybe she lives in your, in your backyard because you've managed to, to set her up a nice place out there or something. I, I feel like a lot of NBA players set their families up with them and, and family's quite strong and quite important. Um, so the bubble concept and sort of what we talked about there, I mean, it's really tough for those guys where family is a really big focus, um, but it just leaves a lot of risk when you talk about these guys going to Florida. And um, I mean, there definitely would have been some NBA players who would have flouted the quarantine rules. Um, but at the end of the day, it, these people have to decide how important, like how important is, is this sort of stuff to me? Because 
Um, they're not going to be able to see their families for, I think it's a month, but you can't have a family inside the bubble, I think, until the second round of the playoffs. So, I mean, if this stuff is really that important to you, then you will quarantine. You'll wear the ring, you know, the ring that was able to to track who you've come in contact with and monitor your symptoms. You will do everything within your power so that you can stay healthy and, and not contracted again after you've been tested or not contracted at all so that you can play and you can keep your family safe. And for a lot of those guys, like um, Damien Lillard talked about it, he said, hey, I could not go and play, but my community and my family relies on me bringing this money in so I can get impact." I can impact my community in a really positive way. And I respect that. But if you want to do that and you want to better, look, it's $1.5 billion that the NBA is going to bring in. And there's going to be some guys who's going to have to sacrifice and say, I'm not going to go out partying tonight because I respect the bubble and these friends and competitors that are in it with me. And that's probably going to be hard for some, some of the young kids. Again, I think great decision by Adam Silver and the league office where their plan pro- like probably accounted for this happening where you know some players would probably contract the virus so therefore give them this extra time to quarantine before they actually play so again you know great organization and great decision making yeah agreed yeah and I, and I mean I think that everyone says call the season off that and I'm, I, and this isn't I think I can say that I want the NBA to go ahead without people thinking that I don't care about the impacts of the virus. But literally, these guys, if, if the season is called off and they lose that $1.5 million, not only will they not have the contracts of the local radio, sorry, local TV stations, these teams have got to get to something like 68 or 70 games to mean that they can get the money from the local TV stations. So if they don't get that and they don't have their turn of sports, uh, they don't have that TV contract and they lose that 1.5 billion, the CBA gets torn up and you're talking about having zero income streams until you're able to get the season off the ground and say four to six months time, maybe. So like they literally have to do this if they want to keep paying people. I mean, we just saw the tra- Portland Trailblazers today. I think they had to fire 20% of their staff. Sorry, didn't have to. They fired 20% of their staff Lots of people took pay cuts. It will, it will get worse. Um, and I'm, look, hey, maybe if, if they cancelled the season, they could work some other stuff out. But these guys won't get paid unless they go ahead. And if there's some way that you can get the season going, then I think you should give it a try. I honestly right. think I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that, they've, that, these give it, that they're giving it a try. Right. You're just yeah. hoping uh, everything works out for the NBA. Um, I'm confident. I'm pretty confident, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the main thing, I think. And I I try to listen to probably, there's probably a couple of podcasts which I listen to every episode, but then there's some podcasts where I just pick and choose episodes so I can get the different views. Like, I listen to a couple of Bill Simmons, a couple of Brian Windhorse. I think the Windhorse pod, the Hoop Collective, is really good because quite often they have people the people I have on there don't agree with each other. And I actually really like that. Um, and I, the main thing that I heard there, which probably I agree with the most is if during the tournament, someone the, during the season return and then the playoffs, someone has the, the virus and they have to sit out for two weeks, 
and it's James Harden, for example. I don't like naming names, but it's James Harden, for example. What is the fallout from that? Like, in your eyes, what do you think the fallout is from that? From Harden contracting the virus and not playing? And having to sit out for two weeks. The fallout from that. Um, if, let's say, he contracts it after the first game out of the eight regular season games, he should be fine, right? Because there's, t- there's time for, for, for the team to, for him to play in the playoffs. But let's say round one in the playoffs, game one, there might not be enough time, right? Depending on how, how they schedule the, the playoff games. So, and also, you know, we're, we're in the same discord with Eric Pincus, and he said that you can't, you can't replace an uh, uh, infected player uh, with someone more than four years of experience. So that's just like a huge problem if it happens. So I think the, the NBA, like they're planning, like with all these rules, like they're, they're really incentivizing players to like be safe and not mess this up for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Cause I, I think if someone came out with a positive test because they'd gone outside of the bubble or just say, look, Hey, just say it doesn't work in terms of the players all respect the bubble, but something happens in terms of like media, someone messes up or someone that works at, at Disney world, which could happen and a, and a major player gets it. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know what would happen, but I would, I'd be worried though that people, other teams and other players would be would be like, or the Rockets may be like, hey, our major player got it, our, our best player got it, uh, and it was out of his control. We don't want to go ahead with the series. Oh. Yeah. I thought that was what Windhorse was trying to get at. I, he didn't say that, but I just, that was at the back of my mind, you know? I think if someone breaks the bubble, we'll know within like five minutes. Um, oh, yes. Like, come on, the, 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 at least, you know, got, you gotta, we got to count on our boy uh, Keith Smith in Orlando. He's, he's probably got to know some security guards or something, and they're going to they're gonna text him right away like, hey, I just saw this guy walk out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll break the news, and then everyone will find out, and then they'll quarantine yeah. that player immediately, and he'll look really bad, really, really bad publicly. Yeah, that's a good point. I think... I think if the players respect it, then the chances of someone contracting it when they're in the bubble are pretty low. Um, and, and I think this is the other point, though, is that on Windhorse podcast, he said that basically it can't fail. He said there's too much riding on it to fail. And I know that players have it now, but they knew they were going to get positive tests. Like, they knew they were going to get positive tests. And these guys, like Alex Len, for example, he was like, I'm looking forward to joining the team. I mean, these guys have had positive tests, yep. Um, I mean, they stopped releasing when Kevin, when they found out Kevin Durant had it, Marcus Smart, you know, a couple of months ago. They stopped releasing the positive tests because the NBA teams were actually getting tests at a time, sorry, they were getting testing kits at a time when not many testing kits were available for the general public. So they stopped releasing it. No, I didn't have a problem with that because at the end of the day, um, if you work somewhere 
you know that, that has if you're in a workplace and you get benefits at that workplace and you've always had those benefits and a workplace can provide you and your family with this kind of security then i would never say to someone don't go ahead and get that security don't go ahead and check on your personal health um so when teams started stopped publicizing that um i think that everyone probably should have known that they were going to have positive tests but people can recover quickly 99 percent of these guys are really healthy fit professionals and i mean yeah they're testing them now so that they can quarantine they can retest and then when it comes time for um and i'm not sure of the process but you know there's the two or three stages where they'll you know do the uh do the testing do the quarantine go and quarantine again and then do another round of testing and then they're in there and then they'll be wearing the rings. Like there'll be also, I think there's going to be daily tests as well. So I think it's too big to fail. Right. Two things. One, um, I haven't heard any reports or any like research about athletes contracting the virus. Um, most of them have been asymptomatic, I guess, or just really mild symptoms. But what I want to know is that after, for people that have contracted the virus, like when they play, will it be really, really different? Like, will their skill level be really, really different? Um, that's something I'm curious about because it's like a really, really major virus. Um, so yeah, I just want to know like if that will affect their playing, their skill, their athleticism when they come back on the court and you know, or, you know, if it's just minor, minor things that they're, they're, they need to improve on, then we can just attribute that to them not playing. Um, another thing, assuming every team has 17 players going into the bubble, how many players would it take for the NBA to just cancel everything? My guess, based on what you just said of this is like, everything is on the table with this bubble. I'd guess maybe half the teams would have to have five players each with positive tests. And that would be like the, otherwise, otherwise everything else, like they need to keep continuing this. Yeah. So I suppose it depends. I suppose it depends when your cutoff date is, because I truly think that the NBA was expecting that a lot of players were going to have positive tests at the moment. Like, you saw Trevor Ariza sitting out because he, he wanted to spend time with his son. He had a bit of a custody battle. Team players are trying to... Avery Bradley sitting out because um, his son has um, underlying health concerns. And if he brought him into the bubble, it would be too risky. So teams are already saying, look, our, these guys are going to sit out. So even if you said um, that... There's 378, yes, there's 22 teams of 17 players. I think that's around 300. I think it's about just under 400 players. I mean, even if a large amount tested positive now, because you're going to have the two weeks quarantine and then you're going to test and quarantine again in Orlando, I still don't think they see it as an issue until they get to Orlando. That's when they'll truly decide. I think at the moment, they don't see it as an issue because they're going to be quarantining in their home markets. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. My, 
my whole five players for each team in the bubble thing is pretty wild. That's that's mm-hmm. just assuming no one no one no one exits the uh that's assuming no one respects the bubble, I think. So Yeah, I mean if if they if they if they started having multitudes of players getting it, hundred percent. If it got to if it got to fifty players had it when they were in the bubble, they're cancelling it. Because then it's out of control and you know then that you haven't contained it, meaning that other players on some teams will have it because of the physical contact of the game. And then once that happens, then you'd be in trouble. So 100% if it got, I mean, 10% would be 40. If it got around there, I mean, I just think that they would just cancel it then. And, I, and you know, if even if they haven't released it, you know full well they're going to have a contingency which says if we get to this amount of players or officials that have it, it's done. They will have a number there. They just would never release it. Right. Um, yeah. Players Association for the NBA. The vice presidents are like all well-known people. That's another you know point, uh, another argument towards them being able to get everyone else to fall in line and respect the bubble, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. So I've seen that they're negotiating that insurance, which would mean if you got some sort of an injury or you got the virus, then you're protected, um, like, majorly for your future contract. So, and I read about this with, I listened to this on Windhorse podcast, I think, with, about Marcus Smart. At the time, he had some injury concerns which were going to be covered majorly for any injuries going forward. So he could, he could take less money on, on his contract, knowing that if he did have a serious injury, that he would still be covered. So I think that the players will have something similar where they can look to take this risk in terms of going to Orlando and know that future contracts won't be um, compromised because they're going to have this insurance cover. But I think that the Players Association know, and I mean, CJ McCollum said, this is a good guy who's really outspoken and pretty smart in terms of you know, his involvement in the community, saying that, look, hey, if, if we don't go here and we don't play, there's a chance that we have zero income. I mean, it's all right for the guys that are on the max, but if you guys only have earned the minimum, and even though it's a lot of money for us, like, and you're just getting a million dollars a season, like you only have limited years in the NBA. I mean, the, it's up to the middle class. All the guys that don't, don't earn the really big bucks, those are the ones that have a lot to lose. And so for them, they're like, man, we, we got to go and play because otherwise we're going to have zero income. I think, I think it was really smart of them to inquire about insurance policies in case things don't work out. Um, speaking of the Players Association, you would like to start a players association in New Zealand for the basketball um, players over there. So uh, how's that going? Uh, I, I know you're just starting out. So uh, on a scale of one to 10, like how difficult is it, Stevie? Um, so it's actually been really good since, since, we, since you and I chatted last. Um, I thought that I was going to be able to these guys are really good push along uh, but since we've chatted last it's been it's really gone to the next level in terms of the, the 
stakeholders that we've got involved. Um, and it was probably an interim conversations only probably two or three weeks ago. It was an interim conversations, but a couple of really big players have got involved and yeah, it's, it's looking like now they're our NZNBL, which is national New Zealand national basketball league. They're going to have their own proper players association. Um, and they've got some really, yeah, key people involved that are able to get that stuff going. Um, I think the issues at the start were in, were that they didn't have the bigger names involved in terms of players, meaning that it was really difficult to advance the discussions because this is why I'm just guessing that the league, you know, the, the actual the administration sort of weren't taking them more seriously. So in the last couple of days, I've seen things really advance really quickly. Um, and it looks like now they've got something in line, which is, is going to be really great for the players. Um, and they're going to be working professionally alongside um, a national federation of players for a collective of sports. So I'm not going to have the involvement that I thought that I was going to previously, but that's, I'm fine with that because it means these players here have got alongside some people that can really help them and also help them get the money and the support that they deserve. Right. And what's her, what's her role in all of this? Uh, are you just, you know, the, the person that's trying to connect the players with the league? Um, are you going to be installing yourself as the executive director of the players association, the New Zealand, Michelle Roberts, Roberts, if you will. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not sure, man. I think that, um, a few weeks ago when um, when the stuff was starting out, um, I thought that I was going to be more directly involved. But I think for me, um, being an advocate for them in the media and uh, helping to connect with maybe people overseas that can help them get more, have more conversations, I'd be pretty happy with that. But I think mainly being an advocate for them in the media, trying to promote that the players a players association is positive and that that these guys and I think it's hard because people see them as professional athletes and uh, I mean I just did an article recently talking about this we don't have massive media and TV deals down here so your players don't get paid that much but there's just this common conception that players just get paid all this massive amounts of money so I'm just going to try and illuminate that hey look these players don't really do that well um, especially the middle class. So, and yeah, just being a real advocate in the media and um, when this Players Association gets fully set up, then maybe, look, there's, a, there's some sort of a role moving forward. But being a real strong advocate in the media and maybe helping, helping some of these guys get their presence and their profile stronger as well. And I think on top of that... Um... In New Zealand, like you said, where the journalists have to cover multiple sports, not just one, that kind of just, you know, does would it be fair to say, you know, basketball isn't, you know, the biggest sport in New Zealand? So, therefore, that's another factor in them not being paid as much as NBA players would. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, so the way that it works in terms of sponsorship, there aren't many multinational companies that, are sponsoring sports so we're at the moment just trying to as basketball is actually growing to be one of the really one of the bigger participation sports we're really trying to have stronger bonds with these more professional organizations who can put in big money 
for sponsorship. Um, and at the moment, it we're not there yet, but we will. You know, we will be eventually. We will be signing multi-million dollar deals with these big companies. And even though we're not there now, it doesn't mean we're, that we can't get there. We just need more professionalism, things like players' associations and top sponsors and strong media that are you know highlighting the, the the positives and the negatives of what's happening in our game. All of that will contribute towards the players being able to get paid more and us being able to promote the game so we can get the next Stephen Adams, you know? I was just about to, to mention Stephen Adams. Uh, is Stephen Adams regarded as a, as a god in New Zealand? He is, he is. And it's tough for the next person that's coming up uh, because, like, we've only ever had three guys play in the NBA. Um, Sean Marks was the first one. Um, now, it's funny because... Some American people don't realize that Sean Marks is from New Zealand. Uh, and obviously he is. Um, I think he was drafted in the second round in 1999. Uh, obviously won a ring with the Spurs. He had like a, I think he might've had a 10 or 12 year career. Pretty like he was, he was just a bench player. Like he wasn't even a role player. He was a bench player, but he was, you know, a really important part of the of the Spurs team for a few years there in terms of being like a guy who went at them in trainings and a really great team chemistry dude. Um, and obviously, he's the GM of the Brooklyn Nets, one of the greatest rebuilds in NBA history. Um, then we had another guy who played two games for the Clippers that you wouldn't have heard of. Uh, shout out, Kirk Penny, still an amazing player. Probably would have had a longer career these days because when he played like 10 years ago, he was like an amazing knockdown shooter. But these days, he would have been in a, probably a guy who would have had a decent NBA career. Um, so, yeah, Stephen Adams is like, he is a god down here, man. And, I mean, yeah, like top 60 player in the league, one of the toughest guys in the NBA, you know, signed up $100 million US max deal, drafted in the lottery. I mean, it's every kids dream to have a career like that and and when Steve did it people in New Zealand were like damn like someone from New Zealand who you know at 13 he he was in street gangs you know uh at age 13 within six years to get drafted into the NBA out of out of pit you know it's a wild story and he's done so well for himself and he is a god to a lot of kids here. And and for you, you must be thinking as well, uh, there's a guy in the NBA with the same first four letters in his name as me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, some people who, I don't know, some people just like calling me Steve and I'm not really bothered by that. Um, so yeah, 100%. It's great that he is a Steve and I'm a Stevie. Um, that's probably where the similarities end though. <laughs> 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 all right um i looked at a map of new zealand i saw i saw where i saw where wellington is i noticed there's a a bit a bit more land to new zealand than just wellington so where where are like all the the professional uh nz nbl teams located oh that is a great question so wellington is sort of like in the middle we've got two islands north island and south island which the most basic naming of of islands and any probably place in the world. Um, the biggest cities are 
So the capital is Wellington. Um, there's one team there. Auckland is our biggest city, which has a million people. There's two teams there. And then when you go down the country, going down the other side, you've got Taranaki, who has a, who has a team. Uh, you've got Hawke's Bay, which has another team that's two, four, five. And then you go down even further into the South Island and you've got Nelson Giants, you've got Canterbury and you've got Dunedin. So geographically, quite well, quite well spread out. Um, actually, no, I haven't missed the team. Uh, Coach will be annoyed if he hears this. Uh, Coach Tim McCandley. There is another one, which is sort of, I'm halfway between the two, halfway between Wellington and Palmerston North. There's another team, the Manor Two Jets. So they're spread out, spread out quite well geographically. So you're in the middle. I, I noticed you're on the North Island. Um, would it take that long for you to get to, let's say, the the most southern part of the South Island? How long would it take you? Um, so we run a ferry, and it's pre- it can get pretty rough down here. If you get a ferry, and it's because it's quite a long way, like it takes about three hours to sail. Um, it costs about two hundred dollars to cross because it is a long way. Um, on a good day, it'll take you three hours. If it's rough, they still sail. Obviously, not really, really rough, but it will sometimes take six hours to cross. Oh wow! Because obviously, really rough sea. It's a big ferry, but really rough sea. It can sometimes it could sometimes take five or six hours. If you just say that that's two hours, and then you get on your get in the car on the other side, it's still probably going to take you between ten and twelve hours. Another, so I'll drive for an hour from my house, jump on the boat for three hours, um, and then between another 10 and 12 hours to drive to the bottom of, of the South Island. 10 to 12 hours to drive to the other side of the yeah. South Island. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so for you, if, if it was, how long is it going to take to go from the bottom of Texas to the top of Texas? Is that a good comparison? I, okay, I don't know. I don't know Texas that well, but I do know California, okay. and yep. I'd say, I'd say from where I am in LA, ten to twelve hours would be like driving all the way to the northern, the most northern part of California, or okay. we can even cross over into the states above us, um, Oregon, maybe. I don't know my geography yeah. that well, but I, I understand. I understand the distance now from from your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty long way. So tell me, man, what, like I, I like idolized American culture in the nineties. <laughs> what is it like in LA? <laughs> in the nineties or now? Now. <laughs> like now? just what's the culture? Yeah. What's the culture like? And just everything like it seems like a dream world to me. Okay. Uh, I think you'll find this inter- entertaining. Um, you know how at SPC where it was mostly, mostly white people and black people. And then there were like three or four Asian people. Uh, Yeah. So where I live, uh, mostly Asian people and uh, mostly Asian people where I live, which is like a suburb about 20 minutes away from downtown LA. And then when, when you get to downtown LA, like it gets, it gets into uh, a really you know, class clash of uh, cultures, I think, where you see white people, you see black people, you see uh, Hispanic, Mexican people, um, 
you see Asian people, but Asian is like a very broad category. There's like Chinese people, there's Korean people, there's me, like Vietnamese people. Um, and then even further, like Taiwanese people. And there's just, you know, I love LA because I, I, wa- I can walk, walk around the city and like I can see all kinds of people walking around. Um, you know, the big schools, of course, that everyone knows, UCLA, US, uh, USC, um, they, bring, they bring a lot of international people or just people from other states as well. So it's you're awesome. very likely to meet someone that's not originally from LA. Um, yeah. But let's, let's go into food, food-wise, right? The, the Mexican food, like we're, we're just so close to Mexico, right? So a lot of people come up. Um, all the, I, I, I really feel like, Stevie, you've never had a good taco in your life. Correct me if I'm wrong, but have you had a good taco before? So I've been, before I came to Vegas last year, I'd been to the USA three times, um, all to the Bay Area, so San Francisco or Palo Alto. There was a Mexican place in Palo Alto. Amazing, like proper, legitimate Mexican food. But I didn't have... I just got the same like bowl. It just had like all sorts of like beans and like avocado. It was amazing. But I just had that like 27 times or something. I didn't go and try and get a really good taco or something. So you are right in your question. Yes. (laughs) Right. See, I think the difference between Palo Alto and Southern California, downtown LA is that there are these taco trucks that just like drive around and late wow. at night, late at night, people creep out of their houses and they go spend like a dollar or two dollars on tacos. So like tacos are usually like a dollar and that's so you know, cheap, including the, 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 the protein with the onions and the cilantro, the lemon. That's just like a dollar. My favorite place is it's, it's really it's really interesting. It's in a hidden street, a hidden alleyway. Not like, you know, if you're just driving by on the main street, you're not going to see it. You got to like turn right and then you got to turn left. And it, it's crazy. Even though it's in a dark alleyway and the only place that's lit up is this taco place. It's like a, uh, they have a taco truck, but then they have this whole like outdoor kitchen area with all the lights and all the, the meats cooking and the, the tortillas being, uh, being cooked. Wow. But still, but every every taco is a dollar, so it attracts such long lines. Um, basically, after after like the Lakers or the Clippers play someone that night, usually people look for dinner because they don't want to pay you know fifteen dollars for McDonald's and Staples Center, or after a, a MLB baseball game, people just go to this taco stand and they just hang out, pay like $5 for five tacos or $2 for like this horchata drink, which is like milk, cinnamon, and sugar. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, there's, Mex- amazing. Right, there's Mexican music playing. Uh, you just stand around. There's a, a self-serve topping station where you can p- apply as many onions as you want uh, with the hot sauce, with the wow. um, napkins and everything. And then you just stand right there and trash cans are like right there for you. So you don't litter. You just put it in the trash can and then you just get in your car and you go. And wow. that's the difference between Palo Alto and Southern California. You don't have these 
you know, mysterious joints that like no you don't hear about unless someone tells you. Yes. Oh, that sounds amazing, man. I mean, in an ideal world, when all this stuff is cleared up, I would hope that, well, I don't know, I w- I'm sure that I will get back to the States. Um, I mean, I'm looking to come to Hawaii in January um, with, with the New Zealand Basketball Academy, which will be really, really awesome. But hopefully next year, if things are back to normal, we can go to a go to a Laker game, drag along all the SBC people, and then I can just like, go and eat a whole bunch of amazing food afterwards. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I just wanted to highlight tacos right there because, you know, not only is the food good, but the atmosphere is good too. You know, Mexican, yeah. it, you know, you know, like uh, fancy restaurants where, you know, you sit down and you have a fancy dinner, a candlelit dinner, and the waiter or waitress, they, they go up to you and they always ask you like, How the, how's the food, guys? How, how are we doing, guys? See, this Mexican place that I just described, like, they don't do that. And sometimes that's better. You just go up there and you tell them like how many and then what kind of protein you want. And then you pay in like dollar bills usually. And that's it. That's the, you just get your food and you go and you get your toppings and your sauce. That's just the beauty. I love it, man. Right. Yeah. Just a simple, just a simplicity. And I think like the idea of before and after sports, I do really love it. I think that, the whole way that sports are set up in the States. And I mean, obviously it's changed a little bit with COVID, but I think we'll get back there is the idea that, I don't know if it's on Sunday, if it's the NFL or if it's a regular day that Christmas day or whatever for the NBA, like there's these regular things and, and family and food and socializing. It's become, it's such a big part. And I think that we've lost that a little bit in New Zealand in terms of the way we, going to 10 games um but i mean i loved like the food that i could get at nba arenas and i mean if you have great company and you can go and get all sorts of amazing food out after the game and before the game i mean that just i love the sound of that five tacos for five dollars and i mean um yeah going to watch a great nba game and sort of walking around in la like i mean that's I I couldn't get anything better in my eyes. I couldn't think of anything better. Right. And that's just like Mexican food. <laughs> if there's a, I'll, I'll just, I'll just share one more, one more food story, which is, uh, you know, you've seen Chinatown, right. In LA in movies, of course. Yeah. yeah so Chinatown, um, if you remember, actually, never mind. That's not Chinatown, but, uh, there's this one place in Chinatown. It's called Howlin Rays. And, they're known for their southern style fried chicken, but their lines. So the the inside restaurant is really small, so people either just get their food and go. But their lines are usually about an hour long. Wow! Every time weekdays weekdays, if you go like at a good at a at a good time, if you strategize, then uh, the line will be shorter. But most days, especially weekends, it's like more than an hour long, and. I've gone a couple times already and they do um they do like their spices can go up to like really crazy levels. So uh one time I went with my friends and we decided to get one wing but like with the hottest spice level that they have. And you know the show Hot Ones on YouTube? I think so. 
you know, like the last stab, like it really just oh, kills people. I, yes, yes. <laughs> if I'm ever on that show one day, like I think I'll be sort of ready because I've experienced the hotness of this restaurant and their fried chicken wings. Oh, but, I couldn't uh, do it, man. I can't I, eat. Like I could eat stuff which is a little bit spicy, but that would be too much for me. I would be like Shaq or uh, the other guy whose name I can't remember, who was like their famous Jeff, you know, that was right. hilarious for a while. Yeah, they killed. That would kill me. Right. Yeah. So just Elba. Just Elba. Right. 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 I saw that episode. Yeah. He's like, "You want to fight? Yeah. You want to fight, Chris?" Um, it was wild, man. I I just couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted. I think that that provides you know the sharp contrast in of LA where on one part yeah. of the city, you can get Mexican food in a dark alleyway with like 50 other people. And then on the other side, it's like a small Chinese Chinatown restaurant with that serves Southern fried chicken that just burns your mouth like intensely. Yeah. 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 That's a, that is, you're right. And that's probably the contrast, like just everything, the culture and the, the, the multi multicultural part of it. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've never been there, but I just, I think I'm just so obsessed by and interested by all the different types of culture and the people and just everything about it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait to get back, man. All right. You know, I always wonder in New Zealand, I'm sure there's a, probably a lot of white guys that look like you, right? So, like, if you come into L.A., you might feel really weird. Like, you might find yourself standing in line with... um an Asian guy, a black guy, and a Mexican guy at the same restaurant or something. That's very, very likely to happen, I think. Yeah. No yeah. one's ever... Yeah. I no mean, one, yeah. No one's ever like... I, I was going to say, when everyone... The whole taco situation, like, I see I see all kinds of people standing in line because, like, we all understand, like, the, the significance of the, the restaurant that or the place that we're at. So no one's, like, too good for tacos. Like, you know, there's no white guy that, like, I'm too good for tacos. Like everyone shows up. Everyone shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I get you, man. Yeah. I think there are definitely like a lot of white guys that look like me. Um, and definitely also there's a lot of towns just like there are in New Zealand. There's a lot of towns where there are only just, you know, predominantly um, white people. Um, but I think in the, in the biggest cities in the U S like in New Zealand, maybe you have to go from town to town or like if, if I'm in Wellington, it's quite multicultural there. But in the US, you're probably talking about the crazy multiculturalness just from walking five minutes and experiencing whole different, I don't know, maybe it's an area where you have lots of people from Puerto Rico or, um, you know, that, that that's sort of what interests me that yeah, you can just drive five minutes either side and basically get to a completely different town you know it's it's amazing it's a la is a, a very artistic town as well you know with the murals of uh kobe and gianna yeah, I, yeah I, i'm, I I'm totally i'm totally sure you know no one would ever touch those murals uh when they were protesting um definitely not like no one no one's gonna touch those murals um i know the lebron mural i think is still up somewhere um, yeah i'm glad right I'm glad. and then yeah. you know uh, a couple minutes away from the city, uh, you find the beaches of, of Calif- Southern California. So, you know, the famous ones like Venice, um, Santa Monica, um, Huntington Beach. Beaches are, beaches are great. Some are dirtier yeah. than others, but most yeah. of them are fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that, that's just like, man, like I, even though I'm not really big on touristy stuff, like if I went to like the Eiffel Tower, like I would go there for like an hour and I'd be happy about it. But then I would just be like, let's go and get some, I don't know, some French cuisine or whatever. But if I went to like Venice beach and I got to see people like playing pickup and stuff and working at the, working out at the outdoor gyms, I would stay there all day, man. I mean, that's, that's like iconic in my eyes. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's, that stuff is amazing to me because it's just more real in terms of, even if I think about like, um, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto or whatever, like, I don't know. I just feel like there's things that, um, that are iconic about, are iconic about different places around the world, especially in my, and how I experience sport and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I definitely want to go to the beaches when I'm in the States. Something interesting about the beach, I think, uh, Santa Monica, for example, they're known for their shows. So a lot of people, they go out, they, they find a, a part of the, the pier of Santa Monica beach and they, you know, they do a show, like some of them sing, some of them just, uh, bang on drums. Um, my family and I and a couple other people, we kind of got scammed by one of the performers at Santa Monica Beach one time. It wasn't no. bad. It, it wasn't bad. Okay. It was yeah. it was just a dollar. We only gave a dollar. But this guy basically made everyone think that he was going to climb up this light post and he was going to backflip. And, <laughs> and he, made wow. everyone, he made everyone think that. And he kept going around the, the huge group and asking people for donations. And people like, I think my family just gave a dollar and then he's like, all right, that's it guys. That's it. And he didn't, he oh, didn't, wow. he didn't do a backflip off the, the light post and land. <laughs> he, he just didn't do anything at all. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's wild. interesting. Yeah. He was, he was a really yeah. interesting character. Yeah. 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 And I think like the, the people that become characters in those type of cities or in, like in those areas they're interesting you know we have those other people in in wellington and in new zealand and yeah they're they're what makes a lot of these like the person the people that are you know maybe they've been begging on this corner forever and they they say hi to you every morning i mean that they're what makes these cities who they are and what they are in a lot of ways and like the, the street performers are so interesting to me as well you also uh you're also missing out on the huge football culture in uh the United States but not just professional football but like college football college football yeah. that's like every single saturday you go out yeah. to wherever they're playing the games and you'll see a bunch of college students hammered maybe even like adults hammered because uh they do these tailgate stuff you know you know about tailgates right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday mornings, you just go out and you just drink, and then the game starts in like the afternoon or sometime, and you all gather into the stadium, and then you just watch the game and drink some more. That's like Saturday. That's Saturday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, college football. College football is an in, is an institution in the United States, right? College football, sports, man. Sports is just a huge institution. College football, yeah. college basketball. Made a professional yeah. basketball, professional baseball, college baseball, um, yeah. right? Hockey, not as much. Uh, no, not not as much. No, no, no as one much. cares. No one cares about hockey. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, People ho- do care. People uh, do care. 
but just not not as heavily as this top three sports though right uh yeah football baseball yeah. basketball yeah no one you know if if the la kings won a championship no one's gonna yeah. like you know throw a riot in downtown la and burn cars and stuff but it definitely would happen if the lakers won yeah, yeah. what if, what happened what would happen if the clippers won probably no one would care i i swear or it would it would be equivalent to like a the trump rally in oklahoma where like barely anyone shows up yeah i said that wow Steve. i said that wow. i think you know what i think the relevance of the clippers is like it's almost becoming a thing now where they're kind of semi-relevant but not really not really not no really. you don't even think they're semi-relevant the basketball people like us we respect them as an organization but you know yeah no one no one in la there are people in la who are unfortunately clippers fans for some reason but yeah um most people like you don't you don't you don't see many Kawhi jerseys you don't see many paul george jerseys you 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 see Lakers jerseys, man, and that's just that's just the way it is. Unfortunately, I don't have a problem with it. I think this is the hard part for the Clippers. They sucked. I mean, how long have they been in the league for? Since the late nineties. They've been in the league, I think seventies, seventies, eighties. They used to be in San Diego, which oh, is uh, yeah, yep. and then they moved to LA. Yeah, that's right. So they've actually been in the league a lot longer. And they've been bad. I know that they had those teams which were like all right. I think in the early 2000s, maybe they were all right. But literally until the Lob City years, they were terrible. And then they have become slightly more relevant. But obviously, the Lakers were just so huge and were literally not just the biggest show in town. They were like, maybe the most exciting thing in sports around the world. So you can't, you just struggle to compete with that. I just, yeah. And, and so really for them to be relevant, they have to win a bunch of championships to, to become probably to become relevant with the overall, with the overall sporting culture, right? Um, not only would they have to win a bunch of championships, but the generation also has to change as well. Um, there has to be some like a generation of people that grew up watching the Clippers win because otherwise yes. everyone else has just seen the Lakers win for so long. That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, man. That's a good point. And, and, and I think that's it is that people only remember the last times time that they were really good. Oh, now what's happening. So Steve Farmer has bought the forum now, right? Right. Is that right? And right. he's going to put the Clippers in there. I believe that it it wasn't just the forum that he's buying, but he's buying also the the surrounding area of the forum. So in, where he's intending to build a new stadium because the forum is kind of, um, it's pretty old. So it's not yeah. really well equipped to be a, a good stadium for NBA teams. Um, yeah. The plan is to, build a new stadium, but also a surrounding area. Um, do you know about like LA live? It's a uh, LA live. Like it's the area outside Staples center. Do you know, do you know about that or, or no? No. Okay. So LA live is basically 
Yeah, the area outside Staples Center where there's a bunch of restaurants, including Shaq's restaurant, which is called Shaquille's. And it's also like the ESPN building is also around the block. So wow. I think what the Clippers are trying to do is they're trying to compete with that and have an LA Live type area where after the game, there's restaurants nearby where you can go and hang out and eat. And yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I think this is the problem. Now, I'm not saying that the Clippers are anywhere on the same level as the Lakers because they're clearly not. But in that market, I mean, it'd be like having the Nets and the Knicks in the same stadium. It's, it's not good for business. If, if Steve Barmer has the Clippers elsewhere, they're maximizing their market more rather than have them playing in the same stadium. I just don't think that that is the best thing for, the best thing for them, even though Staples Center is obviously amazing. If they can create something of their own elsewhere, I think that's massive for the city and obviously for the Clippers as well. The new stadium is in, I think the forum is located in Inglewood, which is like a city a couple miles away from downtown LA. Some people argue that Inglewood isn't far enough to be considered like for the Clippers to be considered its own thing. And some people think you should, they should move it to like even further away, like back to San Diego away um Damn. probably not feasible but that's that argument is coming from a position that says you know the lakers own like a very very large area of southern california so you have to move really far away to get out of the lakers bubble seattle you're saying aren't you yeah yeah <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm kind of hinting towards that kind of i thought you were hinting towards seattle yeah I, it's interesting man i think I think that the Lakers just they just own that market and and I don't I don't know if that ever changes. But I think that when you have a guy like like Barber, he's so he just seems like a dude who's gonna get stuff done. I think that regardless of of what people think that I mean, he kept that team relevant, you know, um for a while now. Like he took over and basically they've got better. Um, been in the playoffs for a bunch of years. Um, kept them pretty interesting. Obviously, got Paul George and Kawhi, which is amazing. And I think that he will continue to push them along. And um, yeah, if it's Inglewood, then that's awesome. And just have to wait and see. I promised myself that I wouldn't talk too much trash over the Clippers after they hired me. So I think I've kept, I've kept myself control there. I think you've done, I think you've done pretty well, man. I think, um, yeah, it's weird. Like when you don't understand, like me not understanding, like not having understood the basketball culture in LA in terms of Clippers and Lakers, it's sort of hard for me to understand how it works. Cause I just see Clippers and I think, you know, like, been to the playoffs a bunch of times, got a legit roster now, um, you know, had like all these 51, te- 51 seasons in a row. Um, but you just realize that's, I mean, there's lots of teams that have had 51 seasons and really haven't won anything. Like the Suns were good for like five years and had Steve Nash and stuff and literally they haven't won a title. I don't think the Suns have ever won a title. So you just realize on the Lakers on a bigger scale, them and the Celtics are just perennial giants of the NBA and you just can't you can't touch that you'd literally have to win to, to even be in the same conversation like obviously the Bulls you know as well um, 
but to even get to that level, you literally have to win five or six titles in a short space of time to to be on that level of like a super franchise. Yeah, there's a reason why the Lakers are in rap songs a lot and not really the Clippers, Stevie. That's a that's a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, all the Timberwolves, my Timberwolves, they're not in very many rap songs, are they? No, they're not. There's a lot of rappers in LA in uh, LA too, so that's a thing. And that, you know, no, that's good. You're, you're defending the Timberwolves there because there's not many rappers in, in Minnesota. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, there's lots of rappers in Atlanta. The, the Hawks make it onto many rap songs i don't know i don't i don't listen to that many that that many rap songs but i i do know that i've i've heard lakers mentioned all the time in rap yes and yeah, you have 100%. like yeah snoop dogg and ice cube they, they they wear they wear lakers jerseys all the time oh yeah, yeah. another yeah. thing um it's funny the lakers games they have celebrities come all the time who sit courtside the clippers games yeah. like you barely see any celebrities and it's really funny when uh, the Clippers host the Lakers, and you know you can you can't even hear it on TV where you can you hear the Lakers chants at a Clippers game, you know? Yeah, and it's wild, right? And the game that the game the one game by the way the one game that I got to work for the Clippers was a Lakers Clippers game, and I saw wait apparently um, Jay Z walked right by me. I didn't notice, but my friends pointed it out. And I can tell you, Stevie, that if it was just a regular Clippers game against any other team, Jay-Z would not be there with his daughter. No, 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 100%. I mean, the Lakers are still the show. Like, Rihanna, um, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Jack Nicholson, like, just name them all and look at them sitting around courtside. Like, that that courtside has been like that for, what, 30 years? I mean, Jack Nicholson got those tickets. I think him and... The guy that he he co-owns those two seats with were on Bill Simmons, Bill Simmons' podcast a couple of years ago. They might have even had them for like 35 years. And oh, that yeah. was like the, the Showtime era when with Magic, and you know, Magic and Kareem and all that sort of stuff. Like that was, but it's been like that since then, even through the crappy years of like, you know, after um, Kobe's injury, like they were still the biggest show in town. Right. I'm skeptical when I see uh, celebrities sitting courtside, except Jack Nicholson. I know he's a fan, but other celebrities, I'm skeptical. Like when a Kardashian or a Jenner, they sit courtside, I, I really don't think their mind is in the game. They're probably there to support like a significant other or something. But mm. um, it's really cool when I find out, like I confirm for myself that they're actual Lakers fans, like Ice Cube's new yeah. dog. They're, they're hardcore Lakers yes. fans. Um, uh, 100%, 100%. Right. And you know Flea, the singer, the rock singer? No. Um, I don't really listen to his music. I just know his band name, which is Flea. Yep. And yep. He, he was on Bill Simmons' podcast one time. And they, <laughs> it was funny because Flea, it felt like Flea was like representing Lakers Nation right there. And that's how I knew like he's a hardcore Lakers fan. Because he was really, he was getting really angry with like and flustered with Bill's questions, I think. And that just that was just really good to see. So that that yeah. something like that there confirms they're a hardcore yeah. Lakers fan. I I love that man. You know what? I Kobe's passing. I have like a, a newfound like respect for Lakers fans because I think prior to that they just used to always piss me off. Um, and I just think like 
Kobe was probably like one of the most famous sports people ever. And that Lakers fans were literally like, like run in front of like a car for the guy. You know what I mean? Like they would literally do, they would walk over broken glass for that dude. And when he passed, like sort of makes me a bit emotional talking about it. But when he passed, like I just felt like, yeah, I, I just respected that fan base so much more because they just love that dude so much. And he represented so much off the court and about the community. And like, yeah, I think something changed in me at that, at that time. And I just respected, I respected that fan base so much more. And I just look at them now and I just think like, it's like a big, crazy family. And I just, I think Shaq said that, I think Shaq's might have said that in a, at uh, speaking at Kobe's memorial, like, oh, actually, no, it was, I think it was LeBron. And I just, I was just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like, this is a big, one big family, you know? Yeah. Every, everybody thinks, you know, LA represents the Hollywood and Hollywood and, and sports. And I'd, I'd say Kobe is LA's most well known athlete and so you know him 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 dying was just like if you just if you just think of la as just hollywood movies and and sports like you just lost like half of la just by one person so yeah 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 it's it's surreal man i think like for me um i like kobe's like kobe will be forever like imprinted on my basketball journey in my life because like when I was first really getting into the league, like it wasn't that long ago, like I've been into basketball my whole life, but never really that heavily until last few years. His final game was like, like that will be one of, well, it was one of the reasons that I started like loving the league as much as I did because I knew Kobe was a legend before that but then like just watching his final game like <laughs> it's like it's like those movies that you watch and you'd be like oh um there's certain things which only happen in the movies his last game was something that would really only happen in the movies like just watching that and you you wanted so badly for him to for them to win in his final game you wanted him to do a couple of amazing things in the final game and then he dropped 60 and the reaction of the crowd, like he was doing all the shit that you saw from him when he was young. Like I just, yeah, that will, Kobe will forever be imprinted on. Yeah. My career and, and where I'm going. And so when he passed, man, I was, I was just devastated. I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around it. And still, still to this day, like, I know it's only been a few months, but um, the respect that he held, that like how he was held amongst his peers, I think that says a lot. Like the way that the outpouring of grief from within the basketball community and like where he had he carried so much. He still does. He carries so much respect within the NBA players, current and former. That says a lot. That says a lot, man. Yeah. Um me too. 
I uh, also didn't start watching basketball until a couple of years ago, but um, I was uh, I did a podcast with my friend. We were both outside Staples Center the night that Kobe played, and I did a podcast with them to just talk about how that day went for us. And you know, you you probably felt it through the screen, but I felt it just standing outside Staples Center. They didn't they didn't put up. Uh, they didn't put up any any big screens or anything. ESPN didn't have like a big stage with like monitors for everyone to watch on. So hundreds of fans that couldn't get into Staples Center, we just stood outside watching on like a, I'd say a 23-inch TV monitor from like wow. a, one of the restaurants outside. Yeah. Me yeah. and my friend, we stood outside for however long the game was, like three hours, and we just watched on super small TVs that are hanging <laughs> up and we're in a crowd of people. So we yeah. weren't like in the front at all. And um, yeah, for me, just uh, feeling kind of understanding what it meant to be part of uh, Los Angeles as a person living there and seeing yeah. like the, the city come together for one night for one person. Yeah. Had a, had profound yeah. effects on a, on a 17-year-old kid about to graduate high school at the time. I love that, man. Because I think that's, like, that stuff is real. You know, like, when I, when Kobe passed, I had lots of people message me that just know how heavily I am into basketball. And they were like, you know, I thought of, you know, I thought of you when this happened. And just realizing that, yeah, like, the, the community of basketball and, I mean, I know a guy here who he actually sells. I buy I buy sneakers from him. He's like a sneaker dude, and he's just like a really great dude. Shout out uh, Woody Carter. He like met Kobe twice um, and went to like a conference. It was quite a prestigious conference. I don't think a lot of people got uh, got to go to it, and he got to meet Kobe twice. And he has like, I think he has two Kobe tattoos on his body, like amazing ones. And um, I messaged him at the time and I just, I realized for those people that really loved him and not just for them, but for everyone, like the community and how everyone like supported each other and like that sort of stuff, like that's real, you know, and the effect that he had on people and fans like was real because he wasn't perfect, you know, like he wasn't like, you could look at you know things obviously happened when he was younger or like maybe he wasn't the most efficient scorer and he wasn't the best player for the the first three rings that he won and stuff like that. But like that was all part of what made him really polarizing when like Kobe fans are just like say like he's the goat and stuff. And even if you don't agree with that, which you know, a lot of conventional basketball people don't, it doesn't matter because his fan base was just so fanatical and so real in the way they felt about him. And you couldn't, when following, even at the end of his career, as I started getting into it, you couldn't help but feel like he, like, yeah, he defined a generation of basketball for 20 years when the social media era came in, you know, the super team era came in. Like there was so many things that happened during the 20 years that he was in the league and he defined a lot of them a lot of that stuff is really real, you know, off the court. Uh, what, um, yeah, another thing that, that just sucks is Kobe, uh, 
he 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 lives uh he lived pretty close to my school uc irvine yeah yeah uh, do you know you, do you know the geography of where he lives i i don't mean yeah kobe uh he lived about 20 minutes away from my my little school apartment i'm with my parents now but my school apartment and where the school is located he lived about 20 minutes away and uh the day before he died people caught video of him uh, playing with his daughter at this little um, shopping center, I guess a shopping center that I've been to a couple times actually. And then the airport that he took off from that day, it's also very close to, to where, where, where I live, which was, you know, about 15 minutes away, I think. And yeah, um, yeah when I found out the news, I was working at, at a target store about, 15 minutes away from the airport. So, yeah. yeah. And he, when he was in his playing days, he would actually come to my school, UC Irvine, and he would go into our school gym and he would practice in our school gym and, or play games with like college students, play basketball games. Wow. Yeah. So the, one of the assistant coaches for my college basketball team, he was the guy that would like greet Kobe really early in the morning when he came in for a workout yeah and so yeah that's our school has a connection with him there and his picture is actually on the wall of uh our one of our student center building i think of uh yeah so yeah wow yeah that's that's a crazy connection man yeah i think that when also being able to see and obviously even if you did or didn't but being able to have that in the flesh connection to someone like it's all I mean, he had fanatical fans that didn't get even anywhere near that close. But when you realize so much more, like someone that someone lost their, you know, obviously lost their father and husband and, you know, son and that sort of stuff, you just like, you realize how when you, it's so real and you're like, damn, that dude just, you know, he used to live down the road from me and he came into my school and he just seemed like also one of the toughest dudes out, like, he, I remember like, I can't remember the, the the name of the talk show host, but it was the talk show that he was on. And I think the Lakers won a game when he was injured in his final year. And it was like Nick Young and a couple of other real scrubs. And they won one game and it was, they were, they won like 20 games that year. And they were like, yeah, we, we hit all these threes, man. And we were so good. And Kobe was just on the talk show, just watching. And he was just so disgusted that they were carrying on like this after they won one game in a 21 season and like everyone was laughing in the audience but he was just so real about his conviction and about how he wouldn't have carried on like that in a winning season that you couldn't even get a smile out of him like the talk show the talk show host just tried to make him laugh and he was just like looking at him like well what do you want me to say like he was just so intense in that regard and i love that he just owned that he wanted to win so badly Right, you're talking about LA staple Jimmy Kimmel, right there, host of the yes. Jimmy Kimmel Live. Yes, who's sorry, also a, Jimmy who's, Kimmel, who's also a yeah. hardcore Lakers fan. Yes, Jimmy Kimmel. I shouldn't, I, sh- I shouldn't have forgotten that name. So yeah, you know the, obviously you know the clip that I'm talking about, and like he just considered that really disrespectful. And I mean, you've seen, obviously the stories have come out since his death, like, um, going into training on the, <laughs> on the day of the. Um, the trade deadline and they were like, Oh man, Kobe, what are you up to? And he's like, I've just come in here to 
say goodbye to some of you bums that are getting traded. Like he, he just like was so annoyed that these guys weren't taking the stuff as seriously as he was. And um, even if it's not always right, like that competitiveness to win, man. I mean, just amazing. It just amazes me. Rumor, rumor has it that he, uh, so where my apartment is located, it's right across the street from the school. Uh, but another thing that's across the street from the school are a bunch of like fast food restaurants. So Chipotle, In-N-Out, Chick-fil-A, Blaze Pizza, all there. But uh, In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A were right across from each other. And they have drive throughs that like people just go through late at night. Rumor has it that Kobe would sometimes go through the Chick-fil-A drive through or the In-N-Out drive through And so students would be literally students would be taking his order and handing him his like food because I don't oh, think, cool. yeah, I don't think where his house is, I don't think there's in and out or Chick-fil-A there. So he would make the drive to get in and out or Chick-fil-A for, for, for food. Oh, that's cool, man. I mean, can you imagine you serve Kobe? I mean, like I would, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I saw a video sort of similar. Um, it was a kid on Twitter and he played, I think he played Xbox or PlayStation with, with Bronny James, with LeBron's son. And LeBron, like, jumped on quickly. And um, this guy was like, oh, yo, like, I don't want to be a fanboy, but I'm your biggest fan, man. I really appreciate your game and your career. And LeBron was like, I appreciate that, man. And then after LeBron jumped off, this guy was just, like, so, like, happy. And, like, I, mean, I don't know how you do react in that situation, but... um without coming across as a total clown. But obviously, I can't imagine what it would be like to serve Kobe when you're working at a fast food restaurant. Right. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. You just reminded Pretty me cool. that you just reminded me that the, the single day that I worked at the Clippers Lakers game, yeah. I think I saw almost every player really, really. I saw almost every Lakers player except for LeBron and AD. And there's wow. even a chance where I got to my job was to take some some fans uh, downstairs onto the ground level and stand uh, in the tunnel where the players come out of. And usually yeah. the the players would high five, but uh, that day uh, coronavirus was like getting worse, so they told us yeah. like don't 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 do that, don't let them do that. Yeah, I saw Quinn Cook, I saw Danny Green, I saw Kyle Kuzma. Uh, I saw a bunch of players walk right by me. Yeah. But LeBron and AD, I think they decided to go on the other side of the tunnel. So they, uh, they went to another tunnel. Yeah. But uh, that was disappointing. Um, something something I, I wanted I, to... So, oh, something yeah. I wanted to mention. Um, uh, Kobe's memorial was February 24th. And then that Wednesday, two days later... I interviewed for my Clippers job and I got hired and just those two events happening so close to each other. Like it really meant a lot to me, I think. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, it's cool, man. Yeah. And the day that I worked that game, I got to stand courtside and I remember looking up and they, they usually they do this thing that, you know, where they hide the Lakers jerseys that are retired, but you know, they decided to show Kobe's Jersey. And I just remember standing courtside and looking up the jersey, and I was like, "Wow, I've uh, gone f- a long way from just being a fan to just uh, standing courtside and looking at Kobe's jerseys hanging up, 
hanging up hanging up from there. So yeah, that's that's amazing, man. And you know what you say about the players? Like, I mean, I think it, like for people like us, we know that we that we know in the future that we're going to be so deeply involved in this as a business. Like, I think that it's easy to maybe regret that you didn't get to say hi to someone or that you didn't, you know, get to catch up with players or whatever. But as you talk about standing courtside, like in five or 10 years time interactions with like top players, I mean, it might have, it probably is going to happen in a daily job. And, and you think, Oh man, you know, yeah, obviously it would have been cool to say what's up to LeBron, but imagine what it's like in five or 10 years when you get to work with these type of dudes. I mean, I think it's important to know how far you've come but also know that you'll, if you keep working at it and trust the process and trust your hard work and that you know that you're going to get there, like that eventually yeah, you'll have amazing opportunities to be able to like, yeah, maybe even be buddies with some of these dudes. Right. Right. Um, so I'm going to graduate college next year. Um, the NBA has uh, this associate program where, if you become a, if they hire you, uh, about 10 people in the country, I think that they take college graduates and you work for them for two years, you cycle through their business departments in the league office in New York. And after the two years, they place you full time somewhere. Um, Damn. That's my, that's my goal. I'm trying to like contact people to talk with right now, but I feel like they're busy. So I'm going to keep trying on that, but that's my goal for, uh, for the future. One day, I really want to be at the the Players Association office. You know, as much as like, I don't know about you, but the salary cap and the analytics stuff, they're really interesting stuff. But I'd rather just learn about those as a fan and not really have to learn about it as a professional. I'd much yeah. rather, I'd like to deal with like the players and help them out. So, Yeah, that's, that's a good point, man. I think that analytics, I love... I love stuff like I like learning about someone's free throw rate or I like, I like counting stats. I really like learning who has the highest three point percentage, but in terms of analytics, like um, DRPM, RAPM, Raptor, Warp, that stuff doesn't interest me because it all just means the same shit anyway. I love the straight normal counting stats because I feel for me, if I'm on a podcast with someone and someone's like, you know, oh, something about, you know, Steph Curry, I could be like, oh, he shot 43% from three this year. But if I just yell out, he had an 8.8 Raptor, fans will be like, well, I don't give a shit about that. Don't, don't talk about that on a podcast. Like, I mean, Nate Duncan and stuff, they don't even really, that like, that's like the main nerd podcast and they don't talk about that. So I definitely agree on the analytics. I think that the salary cap, I love and I love learning about it. But definitely, there's certain things that I would not go deep, deep on learning unless I really had to because it takes a lot of mind space and so much work to be a true expert on it. And let's be honest, if you're going to try and go for a role in the league, you can't be an expert on salary cap, analytics, strength and conditioning, um, the game itself, X's and O's. Um, like There's like six or seven different aspects you could be an expert on. There's no way you can have all the mind space for that. You're better to have a, a strong knowledge across the bar and be like, man, I got in here and actually, yeah, I could do some salary stuff. Um, I'm going to go deep now 
because I've been given this job. That's that's what I think. Yeah, on the other side, um, just like as a basketball fan and just knowing how secretive everything is on the front office side, part of me just wants the experience for a couple of years, but like just leave eventually. I just want to know like what, what kind of secrets are, are they keeping from the fans? Yeah, I mean, I think having some like low-level contact with like some NBA personnel this year and like a few agents and stuff like I – I sort of realize how deep all that kind of stuff does go. Um, and it's stuff like, I don't know, the, the Sacramento Kings signed Corey Brewer. Now, it's said on Sham's tweet that um, Corey Brewer was signed um, amongst a, a lot of interest from other teams. Now, that might not have been true. Like, I listened to a podcast where they said... Um, Corey Brewer's agent probably said that there was a whole bunch of interest where there wasn't. But I think there's a lot more narrative-based stuff that we don't know or understand when some teams have to put things out there that potentially aren't true or other guys want to get paid so or want their player to get paid so that things that aren't always what they seem. Um, but I think that part of it is fascinating, though, like what you were just saying. Well, two hours went by fast, Stevie. Amazing podcast, man. Really, I really enjoyed jumping on for the first time. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think, dude, just when you when you take breaks with this kind of stuff, it just gets so hard starting up again. So I'm glad I've been keeping it more consistent this time during quarantine. Um, yeah, I think for me, like taking a break. Uh, when, when coming back from a break, you need like one or two episodes to just warm up again. And then yeah. uh, after that, you just start to sound normal again. And you don't do, you don't do a lot of ums and, uh, uh, or yeah. So having a good guest like you uh, works, Stevie, works out well. I appreciate it, man. I mean, it's, it's good chat. I mean, I think it's important to chat about the real stuff in life and basketball and like, yeah, that's the kind of podcast that people want to listen to is, yeah, being a bit more real and um, letting people in a bit more. And, like, you can always talk about the best teams in the league or whatever, but just diving a little bit deeper just makes it interesting, you know? Yeah, it's also interesting when you're hosting a podcast, you figure out what kind of show you, you, you like more. For me, like, I can't I can't do a, a Nate Duncan nerd-type show where just talk about the numbers and I can't do yeah. that. I like I like having conversations. JJ Reddick, if you like want to hear real podcasts, man, he, I think he's gone from like, not he was zero before, but the real guests he's had on and the discussions, like he had Jamal Crawford on talking about like racial inequality and like, yeah, Black Lives Matter and stuff. Like he was pulling zero punches and like he was always like that. But I think just he was so un apologetic about his views and just so strong on them and you could tell that him and Jamal Crawford had a strong relationship prior to this so he wasn't just trying to jump on and be like oh I'm standing up for people of color now you could tell that he was always about that and um, I just really appreciate 
him being so real and not really caring if people were going to like what he has to say. And I mean, he has 12 year olds try and bash him on Twitter and he just tells them just get the hell out of here. Like he's just really real. And I realized that I do really appreciate those types of podcasts. And Stevie, he confirmed the existence of a secret basketball court in LA where the Lakers have allegedly been practicing at. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's created a little bit of a storm. Um, yeah, another another point, another another uh, yeah another point in the LA's allure where rich people have secret basketball courts that are replicas of Staples Center basketball courts, and professional players go there to practice. It's wild to me, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna go to sleep soon, but uh, last last thoughts from the great Stevie Cozens. Uh, what's what's in store for your future, Stevie? Um, um, besides besides inducting yourself as the the first executive director of the Players Association in New Zealand. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I when I came to SBC last year, I quit my full time job and I went to part time. Um, at the end of July, I'm going to give up my full-time job and I'm going to go full on in this business. Um, I've sort of like used my other job as a safety net, which meant that I never really had to get fully out of my comfort zone in terms of going forward full on in basketball. So like I really want to strengthen, I've got a couple of, you know, small connections in the league. I really want to strengthen my connections within the league in New Zealand and within the NBA and just try and be a real positive voice for players, produce really great content. Be, I want the Blazers blog that I run to be like, not just the best blog uh, in, in Portland, but I want it to be like one of the best fan sites in the States and in the world. Um, and yeah, I just want to be deep in it every day, but just know that, I've gone all in on basketball and I haven't had a safety net, you know? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's me, man. I don't know what's going to come of that. I've got a couple of more exciting gigs on the way, but um, for me, I'm just going to be going all in and it's pretty exciting. All right. That's uh, that's the goat. One of the goats of the Dopos podcast, Stevie Cozen's right there. <laughs> Thanks Stevie. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. 